You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly, with humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You have one body and one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism and one God who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permitted with oneness, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, good we can be together. If you're here for the first time, Special welcome to you. Glad you've made it to join us. If you're here for the second time, no special mention for you. Just, <laughs> no. Uh, hey, we're, we're starting our new series today, as Kelly said. It's called uh, Under Our Skin, Getting Real About Race. So welcome to that. I would imagine it might create a little bit of anxiousness in the room. I don't know. Some of us are anxious to, to talk about it. We're glad that we're talking about it. Others of us, our anxiousness may take more the form of apprehension. We're kind of wondering uh, well, what might be said or where are we headed exactly. Uh, I probably feel a little bit of both of that, except I got a microphone. And so I'm going to try to use it wisely, at least for the next few minutes. Let me set us up, okay? We snagged this title from a book by Benjamin Watson, who incidentally plays for the Ravens now, Christ follower. And we're not using, we're not studying his book per se, but we ripped off the title because it seemed fitting for uh, multiple reasons. Uh, number one, we're going to be talking about something that gets under our skin. When we think about the state of things in our country, the violence and the tension, the divisions that so often occur along racial lines, it, it bothers us. It, get, it gets under our skin. The events that have played out on our TV screens and our iPhone screens and on our own streets, it, it creates these emotions inside of us of anger, sadness, embarrassment, frustration. And then you think about all of the commentary, the never-ending commentary from maybe your colleagues or friends or anyone with a Facebook account, and it drones on and on. Everybody's got an opinion. And then you think about the off-color remarks that you've heard, or the prejudice and the tension that strikes a little bit closer to home. It gets under our skin. And at the same time, these um, eruptions, whether public or private, they, they're notoriously linked to skin color, but they really have with, to do with matters that lie deep under the skin. Uh, are we talking about race? Well, yes and no. I mean, th there's more to the issue than just black, white, brown, and so forth. Uh, we're talking about um, things that when, when we're dealing with tension between people, when there's a brokenness that manifests itself up here on the surface, there's always more going on down underneath. And, and so solutions, too, if they're really going to be solutions, well, they have to be wrought from down deep, dealing with matters of the heart and identity. Healing begins under the skin, and that's, that's what we want. And that kind of shapes the approach that uh, we're taking in this series. <clears throat> Just to be clear from the outset, we're talking about this because we're Christ followers. Okay? Yes, it's popular in the news today. It's, it's a high attention issue to talk about race relations. There's political angles on it, but we're not doing it to be politically correct. Our interest in getting real about matters of race and culture comes directly from our commitment to Christ and our conviction that God cares about this stuff, that God has something to say about it. Where there is prejudice, where there's injustice, where there's people talking past one another, where there's people at odds, where there is brokenness, God speaks and God works 
to heal. Yeah, everybody's got an opinion, but this is not just a platform giving someone else their soapbox to say their piece. No, no, this is an arena where we, the church, want to hear what God has to say to us. We're opening ourselves up to that. How does he want to direct and inspire and and rebuke us? How does he want to shape us as individuals and collectively as the church to be who he has called us to be? That is what is motivating us. And so then our posture is really is one of humility. And you think about all the conversations and the things that you've heard said when it comes to racial dynamics in our country, and humility does not always reign. Graciousness is not a priority. Listening is not always a value. But all of those things have to be at the center of, of what we're doing in this series. We want to listen to God. We want to be able to listen to each other and learn from each other, letting grace abound in all things. So hopefully then we can get to wherever God wants to get uh, in this series. It's about his agenda. So with that in mind, I'll begin by just saying, my name is Luke and I am a white male. Just needed to get that off my chest, okay? You guys can lighten up a little bit, all right? It's okay. Um, I'm thankful that I am not talking to people who all look like me, which 10 years ago at this church probably would have been a different story. So let's begin by being honest about some things. Okay? Uh, Mountain Christian Church is 192 years old. We are a historically white church. Right? We just, we are. Uh, but as our community has grown more diverse, and as we have paid attention more to God's kingdom vision, which we'll talk more about today, and as we've said, look, we've got to go beyond just these racial zones that we divide into. God is prompting us to do that. It's had some result. Our community has changed quite a bit in, in lots of different ways, but um, one obvious one is just in the skin color of the people that make up our church community. So we celebrate that on the one hand because... Um, we, we think that that's a God-directed kind of thing. It's not just that we're being more politically correct. No, God has pushed us in that direction. We're, we're on a journey. We're not stuck someplace. But on the other hand, no one around here would say that, that we've arrived, that we have no more place to go, that God is finished with us yet. No, no, no. God's not done with us yet. Not in, in this arena or in so many other things. He's not done creating a truly multicultural community that is more reflective of his kingdom and our context. So we want to take our next steps in that direction and go the next steps down that road today. Are you with me on that? Okay, a few of you are, so we'll go. (laughs) All right, we'll begin. So the world's got problems, right? And you turn on the news, you watch anybody else say, everybody's saying it's somebody else's fault. Just ask anybody, it's someone else's fault. We all know that game. We're not going to play that game today. We're going to deal with our own stuff, all right? Uh, We need some help today. JL, will you come out here? Come out here and help me out today. If you've heard me talk at all, you know i got a house full of young children. And this is JL. She's the oldest of those young children. And so when you have young kids, sometimes what they'll do is bring you the bin of Play-Doh, and they want to play with that. And for a parent, it's like, oh, that's a big mess that I'm going to have to clean up later. But on the other hand, it entertains them for hours. So, okay, have a ball. And parents, you know how this goes, right? Like, you may not be as anal retentive as my wife and I, but if, if you're a parent or a babysitter or a teacher or anyone who's acted as a sort of master of ceremony over the Plato proceedings of young children, uh, you know how this goes. You're very clear in your instructions. It's like you can get multiple colors out at one time, but don't go mixing them together, right? 
if you're going to use tools to like cut them out and press them into shapes, you clean off the tool of the one color before you use it for another color. Right? And when you're done, everything goes back into its respective container. Right? This is the standard Plato wisdom. Right? At least at our house, and maybe at yours too. And here's the sobering truth. You maybe already know where I'm going with this. Yeah, plenty of people have contributed to the brokenness that we're dealing with. But the observation made at the end of the 19th century and then famously quoted by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America reveals that we, the collective we, have been teaching our children to go to church like we teach them to play with Play-Doh. Yeah, multiple colors can, can be out at one time. Uh, at least now they can. That wasn't always the case. Are you making fun of me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. Um, I was talking about Play-Doh. I was making a really serious point. We get all the colors out and we can mix them together. They can be part of a shared experience. But, of course, Sunday morning rolls around and they all clump back together. We all go into our respective containers. And that makes us part of the problem. We have to admit that. Why? Why, why is that the case? For people who proclaim the hope of one day worshiping with every tongue and tribe and nation, why do we not worship together now? If God's kingdom is not segregated, why is the local church? We all grew up in different eras and in different places, I suspect. And so we approach or we experience that phenomenon I just described a little bit differently. Uh, let, me, let me just be honest about where I'm coming from. Okay, I grew up in the Midwest, primarily Minnesota and Iowa, uh, white bread areas. And yeah, I, for most of my life, I went to church with people who only look like me. Uh, it's interesting the things you remember. I remember going to Cincinnati when I was eight years old, and that, like looking out the car, we just were driving around. That was the first time like I remember seeing like there was black people like all over the place, and it's weird how you remember those things. Um, as I think about the years growing up, most of the meaningful interactions that I had with people who were different from me was through sports. We go play in summer basketball leagues at the North Omaha Boys and Girls Club, predominantly black area, and that was reflected in the gym. But but I belonged because I could play. And then we go to the South Omaha Boys and Girls Club, predominantly Hispanic area, which again, same story. Uh, we were different, but yet there was something bigger than just the color of our skin that um, brought us together. Same thing again when I played at the Jewish Community Center in Omaha. Sports uh, had a way of um, bringing me together, not just to play against people who are different from me, but also on the same team as them, getting to form the brotherhood that comes when you play on the same team. Uh, sports has made connections for me on the other side of the world. I was in the Middle East touring there in graduate school, very hotly contested, volatile area, and I was in Taba, Egypt, and in one day I played um, uh, water polo with a bunch of Greeks and bocce ball with a Polish guy and a gold speedo and volleyball with mostly Arabs and basketball with a bunch of white guys who couldn't jump. <laughs> and I could jump, so you see the cultural difference there. <laughs> Is like this in Uganda. I was out in public. People were mostly suspicious of me, and I was of them. But then I found out there's a basketball game on a court in the middle of a longhorn cow pasture with a bunch of Ugandans and Nigerians and Sudanese, and just jumped right in. They've got the music out, speakers blaring. It was like a party, and I just belonged. 
It's no, no problem. And it's still that way. Whether I'm coaching football at Edgewood High School or I'm playing basketball in any of the gyms at our three campuses, John Carroll School or the Epicenter or this room in which I'm standing, somehow in sports it seems easier to latch on to something, a, a bigger purpose. It draws us beyond class and color. We're more readily inspired to join together with people who look differently than us and work together to achieve something that none of us could do on our own. We're uh, going after something that's bigger than any of us. And when there's clarity among everyone about what we're pursuing and there's unity in our commitment to go get it, well then that helps us appreciate the diversity of gifts that each person has, the distinct contribution that they can make to help us uh, achieve our goal. Different players are going to have different backgrounds, different quirks. They might be of a different class and different culture. I've played with all of them. But when everyone proves their uh, commitment to and their ability to help us realize the dream that we're all chasing after, then who cares about the differences? In fact, the differences actually make the team stronger because they force a bond that goes down deep under the skin and they unite us together in all going after the same thing. That's one reason I love sports. Um, and if sports can do that, if succeeding in competition can draw different people together and unite them, how much more the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do we not know? Have we not heard what it's all about? We've got to do some work today. All right? we just, we've got to... Um, kind of lay a foundation if we're going to get traction and go anywhere in this series we've just got to work through some things and establish some things uh, hearing from god we talked last week about the importance of reading god's word in order to discover who is he what's he like what does he want what does he dream about he has an incredible story to tell and we need to let that sink down deeply into us and if you're going to know it there's no better place to start than by looking at jesus in real time in history, about A.D. 30, Jesus broke on the scene into a world divided by color, class, and culture, just like the colors of Plato in my house. And he was largely liked and well-received because he did so many good things, healing and forgiving and teaching and giving hope to the masses. But there are also some things about him that were just scandalous. One of those things was that he did not discriminate with, with all of these good things that he was doing. He just let his goodness spill over onto everyone, even those people who were outcasts, either religiously or socially, or even outcasts ethnically. Um, if you read the New Testament, the accounts of Jesus, you pick up on this rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. Okay, Samaritans were like this lesser breed of people in the minds of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. But that didn't stop him from showing uncommon grace to a Samaritan woman, crossing boundaries of, uh, of gender and ethnicity, and even crossing boundaries of, of purity and righteousness. Jesus was perfect. This woman in John chapter 4, no, she was not. Jesus told that story, it's famous now, of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 11. Uh, that, that story unfolds to shame two Jewish uh, leaders, majority culture people, because they held on to their social and religious customs and did not show compassion. And it makes a hero out of the Samaritan, the reviled minority culture person, for the great lengths he goes to to show kindness. Jesus, the Jew, heals the servant of a Roman soldier in Luke chapter 7. Romans being the ones holding power over the Jews during that time. 
It was that same compassion that he showed for a Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7, healing her daughter. Over and over again, Jesus. We see him affirming to everyone that the most important thing about you is not how much you get right or how much you get wrong or your ethnicity or your status or your gender or your class. The most important thing about you is something that lies deep under your skin. You were created in the image of God. And your identity is found in him. Do we understand that as the most important thing about us? I would suggest to you that one of the answers to the question, why is the local church segregated, is that we simply have not grasped this fundamental truth. We have elevated things like culture, class, and color to mean more, to be more important than the deeper truth of who Jesus says we are. We form our identity around those things, and as a result, we don't look like Jesus. Nor do we look like the church described in the New Testament. Or have we not heard? Do we not know what that church looked like? Okay, stay with me now. All right? The boundary-crossing God sent Jesus into the world to call people back to himself, people of all stripes. And when Jesus had fulfilled his task, he formed a church to continue God's boundary-crossing mission in the world. Now, when was this exactly? What was the occasion that God decided to start his church? Hey, we start churches around here all the time in this region. Partner with other churches, and we do the research, and we make a plan, and we call people together and raise the funds, and we do it. What was God's approach? We can read about it in Acts chapter 2. He did it when there were gathered in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were all there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and non-Jews, Cretans and Arabs. It was when that group of people was assembled in one place when God drew them together with a common spirit, a common story, a common mission that was bigger than all of them and said, that's when I'm going to start a church. God had a world-changing, world-blessing mission in mind for his church, and he needed a church that looked like the world. The church grew uh, rather quickly, in fact, even in the face of persecution, and it began to establish these outposts all over the Roman Empire, uh, Europe and Asia and Africa. Acts 11 describes it. It said those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, he was an early leader in the church, that story's told a little bit earlier, uh, it scattered the church and they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. It's up the Mediterranean from where it began in Jerusalem. They were spreading the word among Jews. But some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is in northern Africa, they went to Antioch and spoke the word to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand is with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So you've got people from all over the Mediterranean converging on Antioch. Antioch, remember that place. And they're spreading the word that, that God's doing a new thing in this Jesus who's raised from the dead, and he's giving us grace and new life, and he's calling people into a relationship with him. And, and they formed a community of people, which included the Jews who would have expected to be included, but also the non-Jews, the Greeks, uh, the Gentiles. And it was from this church in Antioch where Paul was sent out, Paul who wrote most of the rest of the New Testament, he was sent out to the farther reaches of the Roman Empire to spread the good news and start churches among primarily the non-Jews, the Greeks, the Gentiles. Who was leading this church in Antioch? 
Acts 13 describes it. It says, Now at the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, or Paul. So you've got leaders from all different financial strata. We assume Manaean was uh, kind of one of those wealthy aristocrat types growing up in Herod's household. Different nationalities, African, Syrian from Cyprus, Palestinian, and different skin colors too. We assume that Niger, meaning black, was a description of Simeon. This is the team that God assembles. This is who he put in place there at Antioch. That's who they were. And it says in Acts, the disciples, disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. When the name was first applied, Christians, that's what they looked like. This is where it gets a little bit sobering uh, for me uh, personally as a leader in this church. As I said, we've come a long way. But uh, you could go to the staff page on our website right now and look at the, the pictures there. And that team would not resemble the staff page of the church at Antioch. In fact, it, it wouldn't even match the demographics of our county. Now, we've got a great team that, that faithfully and effectively serves this church and, and is, I think, very adept at working with people of all different colors and cultures and ages and stages. Okay, But I'm just being honest about the fact that our leadership team is largely monocultural at least at this stage uh, in our development. So what does that mean? Um, probably different things for different ones of us. I don't like to draw the distinction between pastor types and non-pastor types any more than we have to, because we're all on this journey together. But yet it is true that just this church has given certain responsibilities to certain people to do certain things in order to move the mission forward. Right? And those people, you know, get the picture on the website. And as far as it depends on us as leaders, it means that we've got to continue adding the right people to the team to effectively lead God's boundary-crossing mission forward. And we know that a monocultural team can't do that in a multicultural place. It's not that we're doing affirmative action or minority quotas or some diversity program. It's not the motivation. The impetus for empowering a diverse group of leaders to serve and lead the church comes from the conviction that God has equipped people of all colors and cultures to serve and lead the church in this place where he's put us. He wants to call people of all colors and cultures to himself in this place where he has put us. And so we are going to continue to seek God in that and let him lead us in the right direction and take our next steps forward as for the rest of you it means serve and lead the church whoever you are from wherever you come whatever your background or skin color you have something to offer use your gifts for god's glory and for the edification of the church this church wants you to be engaged in that way now don't aspire to lead aspire to serve and in time someone will ask you to lead. Uh, cross boundaries in your conversations and your relationships, in the people that you're grouping up with. Be intentional about those things. And for all of us, uh, the example of the New Testament church means that we're going to remember whose church it is. Okay? We're going to resist the temptation to control things and manipulate our surroundings in a way that works out for our comfort. I'd have to say that another reason that uh, the church is segregated is because of the idol of control. 
when you're in control, it's a lot easier to maintain that control when everybody looks like you. It's easier to get people to fall in line, maintain the status quo. When we start introducing different people into the mix, that threatens what you've worked so hard to create and keep managed here. That's what was going on in the movie uh, Remember Titans. I don't know if you've seen that. Historically, white school was now being integrated. Black football coach and black players joined the team. And the white coach and the white players felt their norms, their way of doing things, slipping away from them. Okay, spoiler alert, okay, it worked out beautifully in the end, but their first thought, just like our first thought many times, was not, how could the different perspectives and gifts and styles of these new players uh, help get us to another level? No, their first thought was, we like it the way it is, and these new people are going to mess it up. And so they wanted to hold on tighter and exclude those who were different and maintain their hegemony over the goals and patterns and culture of the team. And the church has done exactly that from time to time. We've set off with this noble goal of building God's church, but once we get our hands on it, we craft something that looks only like us. But this church is not going to do that. This church is going to remember how the master builder does it. The Apostle Paul, as we said, he planted a lot of churches he cut his teeth in Antioch, and then he was sent out to start churches among the nations. Most of the New Testament is his communication with those churches. And he said uh, to one of them in Ephesians, he said, remember, remember how God did it. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. So you got, we got some outsiders and insiders thing going on here. Uh, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So what he's saying is this, this story that is told in the Old Testament is the story of God and his people Israel. Okay? The, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were external to this story. They were foreigners to the covenants and promises that are made up of this story, that this story is made up of. But now, Paul says... But now Christ Jesus, um, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who were far away, and he preached peace to those who were near. For through him we both, everybody, has access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. I'll do you one further. You are members of his household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The construction of the New Testament church flies in the face of all the social constructs of the day. It breaks all of the Play-Doh rules and it stands as a testament of hope to would-be outsiders everywhere. Everybody knows just by looking, I belong there. When God builds his church the way that he wants to, yes, it's, it's, it's colorful, it's multicultural, but 
everyone grabs their identity and attaches it to something so much deeper than color and class and culture. Our identity comes from the fact that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are members of His household, children of God. This is the church that God builds. This is the church that Jesus prayed for. Just before he was going to the cross to die for this church, he was in prayer uh, for all of those who would come after him. He said, I pray for those who are going to believe in me one day, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world would believe that you have sent me. May they be one so that the world would know that, that I am who I say I am. There's something at stake here. Our oneness says something powerful to the broader world. And so does our separateness. Which is why Dr. King was so amped up. It got under his skin to see the Lord's church divided and thus discarded and disregarded by a world who desperately needs the reconciling power of Christ but has no idea where to find it. I mean, how would they know where to find it unless the church, in Jesus' name, acts as an agent of peace and bringing people together? How would they know unless the church, in Jesus' name, works, walks, and worships together as a multicultural community? How would anyone know the reconciling power of God if those who claim to be reconciled to Him aren't reconciled to one another? How would someone know that they could belong to God's church if when they look at the church, they don't see anyone who looks like them. How, how would a person find the confidence needed to use their God-given gifts for His glory and the good of the church if they don't see anyone else around that looks like them being encouraged to do the same thing? There's something at stake here. And we have an incredible opportunity to listen to God and let Him lead us to become the church He's called us to be and consequently then offer something very attractive and incredibly healing to a broken world. And we capitalize on that opportunity when we're one. When amidst great diversity, we have unity. When we, when we just do a very practical thing and welcome the, the culture clashes that come when anytime you got people uh, that have different backgrounds, come from different places, working together, there's going to be friction. You're going to bump into each other because you have things to learn about each other. And when we don't take that as, oh, that's something wrong and we better stop doing that and move in a new direction, when, when we just say, no, that's normal. That's part of it. That's part of being on mission together. And we remember that we're all moving in the same direction and we're all going to listen to God and listen to each other and use it as an opportunity to grow and learn and further the mission. We capitalize on that opportunity that God has given us. We live out the mission when we cross boundaries of color, class, and culture to share our lives with people, to, to in, share our dinner tables with people. We realign ourselves with the mission when we repent of our bigotry, knowing that, no, we didn't do those terrible things that we saw on the news, but those prejudices live in all of us. We offer something healing. We provide a source of hope for a divided world. And we let God build His church into the beautiful mosaic that He wants it to be rather than the thing that's safest and most comfortable for us. There's something at stake. 
God has a community-changing, community-blessing mission in mind for this church. And He needs a church that looks like the community. I need that. Okay. I mean, all of those other reasons are the more important reasons to, to listen to God in this. But I'll just tell you, I'll speak personally, this has become a non-negotiable for me. Uh, I got two brown-skinned kids growing up in my house. And they're too young to know it right now, but I've made a promise to them that I will never move them to a place where they feel like no one looks like me. That means we can't go back to the places where I grew up. I will never live there again. In fact, living here in a place where I'm actually a minority in my neighborhood is what gave us uh, the confidence to, to think that two brown-skinned kids could actually have a chance to thrive in our family, that they could learn to be comfortable in their own skin, even having white parents. Because I know they're going to play and they're going to go to school with tons of kids who look like them. Probably more kids that look like them than look like me, actually. And I am so grateful for the journey that this church is on. Because when I bring them to church on Sunday morning and I pass them around, there are brown hands to hold them. There are people who have their skin color, but, but who define their identity by something much deeper than that, that I can say, you could be like that when you grow up. You watch him. He'll teach you how to be a man. I can't raise him without that. And so I am dependent on this church continuing on this journey. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. I, my family is dependent on us taking our next steps. Not to become politically correct, but to listen to how God wants to shape us into his church for his glory for the sake of the world. More importantly, our community is dependent on that. Our world is dependent on that. So let's do it together. Let's listen to wherever God is calling us and let's have the courage to follow Him. Let's listen to each other and learn from each other as we all allow God to build his church into the beautiful thing that he wants it to be, letting it look more and more like his kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for the ways that you are building your church and you're building it with people like us. You've called us into this community right here in this place, in this time, um, a mission that started so many years ago, through Jesus and then the power of your Spirit working through the church. That's what we want for our church, your Spirit to be present here and active and working through us. So God, make us into the mosaic that you want us to be. Help us to learn from each other, uh, to repent when we've got it wrong and messed up. Uh, help us to achieve understanding uh, with those who are different from us so that we, reconciled to you, reconciled to each other, might be a source of hope and reconciliation for the broader world. We know this place is broken, and we don't want to be part of the brokenness. We want to be part of uh, you putting us back together and putting our world back together. So God, fill us, build your kingdom here. Use our church to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.